please and turn to Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7. So it does feel like we've been in Hebrews chapter 7 for a few weeks and there's a lot of information uh, that it gives us here and um, as we are verses tonight we're going to start in verse 11 but before we do that I want us to look at kind of the topic sentence verse 19 verse 19 says for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God as we were singing this all draw me near near my Lord uh, the Lord put you on the same wavelength tonight as and that is our topic sentence tonight and that is the whole thing when you step back and you think about salvation you think about God's great eternal plan his sovereignty his election his grace isn't it to draw us to him hasn't isn't that the purpose to draw us to him so as we look at verse 11 we're going to start there and as we go I want you to keep that kind of topic in the back of your head that God has drawn us to him but let's pray heavenly father again we come tonight and we thank you lord for your goodness to us father we we thank you lord for the forgiveness of sins our sins the sins we commit against you each one of us father for the shed blood of Jesus Christ which purifies and takes away our sins for those who believe and call upon you and trust in you what a strong hand, a mighty hand you have to save us and to keep us in your hands. Father, we do pray that you'll just be glorified and Christ exalted tonight. We may leave this place just more in love and enamored with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11 says, Therefore, if, sorry, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. So that is something that we're going to look at. Look at the that if and therefore, it could probably be better if those two words were switched. Uh, because he's asking a hypothetical question. He is saying, therefore, if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. So what is the therefore, therefore? Just real briefly, we, we see that Judaism can only bring a man so far to God, to the presence of God. So if our topic, verse 19, is to be drawn unto God, how did Judaism really do that? And if you think about it, isn't salvation the whole key? Like I said, the whole key of God gathering all things unto himself in Christ. Remember, that was Paul's desire. Paul said it was the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel is the ministry of bringing bought, bought to, to God, being brought to God. Paul said that his desire was that we may be filled with all the fullness of God which is to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ is to be to know the fullness of God. Now, 
in Judaism, there was only so far they could go, right? Think about the temple. Think about the veil. The veil was a barrier. Common men could not be in the presence of God. They could not go to the presence of God. I mean, let alone a Gentile. The court of the Gentiles were really far away from the Holy of Holies. So that we see a divide. We see that there was no access to God in Judaism. But the fact that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek meant that he removed, he could remove that veil. And once for all, he removed the sin barrier. Now, why is that? Why, did, why could Jesus remove the veil? Why could Jesus remove the separation? Because it was sin that separates us from God. It's our sin against him. It's our committed sin against him. It's our state of sin that, com- that we are in that separates us from God. But Jesus took that sin. That veil kept us from the presence of God because of our sin. Jesus ripped the veil to top to the bottom. And he gave us access to God. Why? Because he's taken away the sin that separated you from God. Now, I still feel like a sinner. I, I still feel, and we are. We do sin. Now, he's talking about the judicial guilt. He took all of my sin committed against God and he paid for them so that he could bring me to God. Now, only the priests, after the order of Melchizedek, could do that. Now, the whole point of the text that we're going to look at tonight is to show this truth. Going back into Judaism, the old way, the old covenant would be senseless. Uh, There's two things that we're going to look at tonight that he brings up, the imperfection of the Levitical priesthood and the perfection of Jesus' priesthood. Jesus is the better priest. Last week, we talked about Melchizedek and his priesthood. Tonight, we're going to talk about how Jesus has is the better priest. Um, So the therefore talks about earlier Melchizedek briefly. He's greater than Abraham. We saw that. Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. He predated Abraham. He's greater than Levi, which was a Levitical priesthood, uh, because Abraham or Melchizedek blessed Abraham. It said the greater is the blesser. And so we, we saw that. Uh, we see that Melchizedek's priesthood is universal, it's royal, it's righteous, it's peaceful, and it's eternal. And that's a big distinction between the, the Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. So if the Aaron priesthood, if the Levitical priesthood was brought us to perfection, and what is that now? That word perfection, we see it all the time in the King James Version, don't we? We, we see it used in many different applications. It can be used for maturity. It could be used for total righteousness. But here it is being used in the way of if it could have accomplished what it was picturing to do. If those old sacrifices in the Old Testament could actually accomplish our access to God, then that's what that perfection word means. If it had the ability to accomplish, 
If that were by the Levitical priesthood, in verse 11, for under it the law, for, un, for under it the people receive the law, we'll come back to that in a minute, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? So the question is actually the Holy Spirit is leading us to logically conclude this. It's, it's taking us to a logical question. It was never God's design that the Levitical priesthood and those sacrifices would continue forever and ever and ever. You, you can't read that. You don't read that anywhere. It was always God's design to raise up a better priesthood. And we see that, and we're going to see that in Psalm 110, because David prophesied that the, the Messiah would come and he would be after this different priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood. So if God had from the beginning already planned that Christ would be after that priesthood, then that's the question in verse 11. If Aaron, if the Levitical priesthood, Jews who want to stay in the system and the law and those things like that, then what need would there have been for Jesus? Why? Why? Well, let's even step back even further. Now, I, I want to be careful to keep the author's intent, but also apply it to us today. When we see that he is writing to those who are professing Jesus Christ as their savior, but they're wanting to slip back into Judaism. They're wanting to add the system, the mosaic system, all the rituals, all the ceremonies, all of these things in with faith. And if you've read the New Testament, you know that 85% of it is chock full of don't do that. Don't, you know, don't add works with grace. Now, we know that he's talking in specifics about the law, about those who were under the Mosaic system trying to go back into it. But think, think today how people want to add works to faith. I mean, people have a concept that they must earn their way to heaven. In order to be drawn near the God, I must earn my way to God. And what is that earning? Well, what you're doing is you are conforming to code. You're conforming to something. The Jews had written law. Paul tells us in Romans that the Gentiles had a law unto themselves. And it's very similar to the Ten Commandments. That was the written law. God, so God is going to judge you whether you are a Jew under the Mosaic law or you are a Gentile and have a law unto yourself. Now, you're going to say, okay, well, I'm going to start obeying this moral code that I have and try to gain favor with God. That is called works. That is trying to work your way to heaven work by being you're trying to work to heaven now that's exactly what we see in the old testament under the levitical priesthood it was a covenant of works god said if you obey i will bless you and you will bless and he'll bless you forever and ever and ever and ever 
If you can do it, then you'll be righteous. But not only has the Old, I mean, the Old Testament has shown us over and over and over, and you know it yourself, that as good as you can keep the Ten Commandments, you're still going to disobey. You're still going to fall short of the standard of a holy and righteous almighty God who cannot be in the presence of sin. Okay? So, what does that mean? Well, that means that the works, that whole system of works, that whole law of me trying to obey is not sufficient. There needs to be something better. What can take away my sins? It's not the, the blood of bulls and goats. It's not the, the priest after the order of Levi or after the order of Aaron. It's not the, the covenant of works. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not those things because we fall short. And uh, as we go, we're going to see this. What can draw me to God? Well, I have proved to myself, and if you're honest, you have too, you can't do it yourself because I can't live up to as much as I try, as much as I want to. And here's the thing. James said, you can keep the whole law, but if you have broken just the least little one, you're guilty of it all. And James calls it the whole law. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more. The law was a lot more than the Ten Commandments. Now, think about that. If you've broken the least of these commands, you're guilty of breaking it all. Because God does not deal with degree of sinners. He can't be in the presence of sinners at all. No sin. Zero. That means the best person you can think of is not good enough for God to be in God's presence. They must have their sins forgiven. They must have a clean slate before God. And the Old Testament sacrifices, the Levitical priesthood could not do that. So it was imperfect and it was temporary. God had designed it to be a picture of what Jesus would do. So in verse 12, he says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now here, um, may want to, um, I need to get a little, little deeper. Hebrews is a deep book, uh, but one of the, the things we also, before I, I get into this, before I get into verse 12, 12 is big, okay? 12 goes deep. There's a lot of different views on verse 12. But I do want to say that the Jews needed to hear this information. They, they no longer had a reason to go back into the, the Mosaic law. They no longer had, since Christ had come, and had fulfilled the law and had provided all the righteousness of God in him, they had no reason to go back into the old system uh, because why, if, if it led us to perfection, if it led us to access, why did it be gone away? All right, now for the priesthood being changed. That word changed, in the Greek, it means to put one thing in the place of another. It literally means to transpose. 
For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. That also means removed. All right, so the order of Melchizedek has rose up. Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after Aaron. That priesthood has changed. It's been replaced. The Levitical priesthood has been replaced by the Melchizedekian priesthood. You all understand that? So not only has it been replaced, but the old has been done away with. And we're going to see this. So for the priesthood being changed, been done away, it's been replaced, there is a necessity, a change also of the law. It links to the law. Remember in verse 11, I said we would take care of that parenthesis. It says, under the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Now, the law has much to say about the Levitical priesthood. We can go and we can look in Exodus and we can look in Leviticus and we can see all of the laws pertaining to the Aaron priesthood in the Old Testament. Now, there are several, and now I, I want to say this. Verse 12 means... If the priesthood after Aaron has been replaced or it's been removed, replaced, then the law has also been replaced. Now, a lot of people say, oh, it's just talking about the law of the priesthood. Maybe. And specifically what he's talking about here, it could be in talking about all the law in reference to the priesthood. But the whole book of Hebrews and all of Romans and all of Galatians is how Christ has fulfilled all the law, all of it. Who are those who are condemned? The ones who are under the law. Whether you're a Jew under the Mosaic law or you're a Gentile that has a law unto yourself. Did you know that as a Gentile, you and me, we've never been under the Mosaic law? No, we've been under the law, but not the Mosaic law. We, we didn't receive the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. The Jews did. But God has written where we have a law unto ourselves. So rather you have that law or the law of Ten Commandments. Uh, I, Brother Pittman once said that um, the Ten Commandments were not a surprise to anybody because God's already given us that, given us that conscious of law. So, what has Christ come to do? Now, real quickly with me, Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. 
Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be become guilty before God. What does being under the law mean? It means you're condemned. It means you're condemned. So what that means is you have to come out from under the law. Right? The whole law. Not just part of the law. The whole law. Verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. By the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is revealed, it's manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Talking about the Messiah who would come and and bring in an everlasting righteousness. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God. Righteousness is how to be right in the eyes of God, how to be in access, how to be in his access, how to be in the heaven. It's God's righteousness, even the righteousness of God. Of God. His own righteousness. Isn't that something? You, you, you walk up, you die, and, and you go before the judgment seat, and they're like, and God says, all right, look, 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 Philip, why should I let you in the heaven? Because I have your righteousness applied to me. Oh, that's the only righteousness to have, isn't it? God has provided his own righteousness and his own son to be charged to my account. Because Jesus and I did an account swap. We did a, a whatever you call the, the uh, expenses on the income statement. Christ took all my expenses. And he paid for them. So verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Who did he do this for? He did it for all those who believe. Not work. So we know that working, you cannot work for salvation because if you're working, you're working according to the law. Rather, it is something inside you that says, oh, I need to not lie so I can be good with God. Well, you've broken these other commandments. You're not good with God. And so now that we have been, now that we're guilty, There is no standing before him. And come back to Hebrews chapter 7. There's no standing before him in our own righteousness. I tell you, it's verse 12 explains to us that there is an indissolvable link between the priesthood and the law. That means if the priesthood has been done away, by necessity, so has the law. One has been gone away. So here's the thing. You know, a lot of people say, well, there's, you know, the ceremonial law, the civil law, and a moral law. Well, all of three of those laws were under the law. You're under the law. I mean, which part of that? Are you going to take one of those and try to keep that, but just do away with the other two parts? Well, which one? I mean, there's no picking and choosing which law that you, that you obey or that you come under. And so... Christ has either paid for all the whole law or he's not paid for any of it. You, you know, it's like people are, are making payments 
on a car that's already been paid for by somebody else. That's that people are trying to work and make themselves righteous in the eyes of God when they don't realize that Christ paid for it all and it's Christ's righteousness that God sees is the only way that I'm going to heaven. I want God to see Christ's righteousness. I don't want him to see how I failed. But it's upon all who believe. That's it, right there. God just didn't zap you in the head. It's something you must do. I heard a, a preacher say, you know, and, and it, was, it was beautiful. But you can, I can stand up here and give you the gospel all day. But you need to choose. You need to call upon the name of the Lord. You need to take that information. Turn to God in faith. Repent of your sins. Turn to him in faith. Now, are we sovereign landmark? Yes, we are. But when the Lord is speaking and he is talking to your heart, you better believe it feels like every bit of you turning and you grabbing on the hymn. Later on, you can learn about God's sovereignty and, and all of that. But if you're somebody, uh, you know, it's kind of like the angels who came to Lot. Flee for your right, uh, flee, flee for your life. Run. God's bringing destruction down upon this city. Flee. Run. Don't look back. Uh, the angels, well, Lot had a decision to make, didn't he? Um. So, by verse 12, um, like I said, we could get a lot deeper in that. Now, when we're saved, we're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the law. We are under the law of Christ. We are under the law of Christ. The greatest and the, the most important commandment, he says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy might, and thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill towards thy neighbor. We do not serve in the oldest of the letter. We serve in the newness of the spirit. And so we love to do the law. Now, that's not saying that we're discarding the Ten Commandments or that we're saying that none of the things in there we have to obey anymore. No. When you're saved, you want to. You desire to do the will of the Lord. You don't want to sin against him. Even though you know it's covered by the blood. Even though you know if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so a lot of people abuse grace. They're grace abusers. They're saying, well, if he paid for everything, then I can sin all I want. Paul dealt with that question, didn't he? Let us sin so grace can abound. Oh, how can you continue any longer in sin to something you're dead to? Uh, I don't have time to preach Romans chapter 6, but as Christians, we are under the new covenant, not the old covenant. And there is an indissolvable link between the priesthood being changed, replaced. There is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now, even if he's not specifically talking about the whole law, he's just talking about the priesthood law here. It's still true regardless. So for he of whom uh, these Things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. For he, Jesus, of whom these things are spoken, pertaineth to another tribe, Judah, which of, of which no man gave attendance at the offer. There was no service from the tribe of Judah to the priesthood. There was no service, no priesthood service in the line of Judah. Verse 13 means, for it is evident 
that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Um, and it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Now, we're going to stop here. There's going to be a couple things that I want to stop and, and pay attention to, though, bless your heart. Now, um, some of it's self-explanatory. Some of it we need to kind of stop and look at. And it is far, yet far more evidence. You know, that's all he's been doing. Is he's been giving one evidence after another. It is so obvious. I mean, oh, the Holy Spirit is leading us into a very logical statement so far, hasn't he? If the Levitical priesthood was meant to carry on, then why did David prophesy there'd be a different priest? Why would David prophesy the Messiah would be after Melchizedek? So... That's, that's an evidence. Another evidence is the Messiah came out of Judah. There's no Levitical priest in Judah. There's no priest at all in Judah. Uh, beginning all the way in Genesis, it said that the Messiah would come and his scepter would not leave Judah. The Messiah would come from Judah. And, but it also says that he will be a priest and king. So Messiah would also be a priest, but there's been no priest out of Judah. So that, could have, that should have tripped them up a long time ago on that. So if you were trying to persuade a Jewish believer who's wanting to go back into the old system, wouldn't this be a way to do it? Wouldn't you say that this is what the Lord has done, that all sufficiency is in Jesus Christ and not the old? Not the things which pictured him, and it is yet far more evident, even further, he's going to keep this argument up for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. I want to work with this word, another. Uh, the Bible has a couple different Greek words behind another. There is heteros and there's alos. Heteros, when it, that's what this word means, is that there arises another of a different kind of priest. So what he's saying is this priest who has arisen is a different kind of priest than Aaron. He's after the similitude of Melchizedek. This word ariseth. Now, sometimes I know I, I kind of nerd out on you a little bit, but I think the word of God, it's so beautiful. I, I, I hope you enjoy when, when there's just a, a little bit of a nugget in the Greek that you'll love. And the, the setting, the grammar, I mean, every word is here on purpose. Every tense of the verb is here on purpose. Nothing is by coincidence or, uh, but ariseth. Oh, wow, you're going to love this. Ariseth is a verb in the Greek in the middle voice. What that means, it's reflexive. That means a verb in the middle voice, the subject takes on the action themselves. Okay? The subject of the sentence will take the action upon themselves. Who's the subject of the sentence in verse 15? The priest. And what has the priest, what action has the priest taken? Ariseth. Jesus himself rose up 
No one but Jesus made him the priest after the order. And it says God the Father appointed him and everything. Now, what's beautiful about that is you can imply several different ways how Christ has rose up. Himself, he has rose up. Now think about his birth. Now verse 16 is going to give us two, two ways that he's done this. But think about Jesus Christ's birth. Jesus himself has came upon human history. He, the incarnation, he arose up as a man himself. He was virgin born and he came and he took the form of man himself by his own power. Secondly, Jesus has rose up as this high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we see that it is in verse 16, it actually gives us two separate, the, the next reason, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Jesus rose himself up, arises himself by qualifying to be our great high priest after Melchizedek. Remember Melchizedek? Remember that he was universal, that he was not a priest because of genealogy, Either he had no father, no mother, no end of days. He's an unchanging priesthood. He's an eternal priesthood. Jesus rose up to meet that priesthood, that qualification. Uh, he didn't get it by being the son of somebody, but he qualified to get it. And then also we know that Jesus rose himself up from the grave. He himself has taken the action. Isn't that, what we, isn't that wonderful? He has taken the action to draw us near to God. Jesus himself went to be my sacrifice. The Lamb of God has taken away my sin. By his own power, he has saved me. You know, what's, I was thinking about this. If, if we were walking in the days of the disciples when Jesus walked with them, you know what? You could help Jesus up if he were to trip and fall. You could probably help him up. But you could never help Jesus take away your sin. He did that himself. He did that all by himself. To those who believe. He arose himself. He has the power to do it himself. He was not made this high priest after law of now what that means is the physical requirements that were put upon the Levitical priesthood but after the power that word is dunamis power the explosive power of his endless life verse 17 for he testifieth thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek um, We'll look at Psalm 110 next week, but it's the Lord said to my Lord, sit on the right hand here. And he says the, of the Messiah, of the king to come, that he is forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18 and 19 are one thought. It actually is one sentence. And it's a little tricky. Uh, For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before the for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. 
Another, so I study this and study this, and I'm trying to think of a way to, to, to make it more understandable. In verse 18, for because there is verily a disannulling. Now, that disannulling is a putting away. A putting away. Um, of the commandment going before. That means in the past. For the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. He's talking about the insufficiency and the temporary nature of the Levitical priesthood, of the law. There has been a putting away. So understand this. Not only has the Melchizedek priesthood replaced the Levitical priesthood, but the Levitical priesthood is not to be observed anymore even as a picture because it could not accomplish what it set out to do. It was good in covering sin, but it could not take away sin. It could not cleanse you from sin. It covered sin for the year, but there was a renewal. It never took the consciousness of sin away. It never gave a permanent peace to the person because there was always a reminder of sin. Now, that is gone away. Now, before for the weakness and problem, that does not mean that God was weak in sending it. Now, remember in Romans chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. If you remember, it says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now, what that means is the law wasn't weak, the, Levitical, the, 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 law, the law that God gave was not weak, but we are weak to keep the law over and over. We see that they sinned against God. How long are you going to provoke God in sinning over and over? And how long do you think that you're actually going to become righteous before him keeping the law? Well, God has taken away, disannulled that commandment going before because of the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For, because the law made nothing perfect, the law could not bring us to God. Remember, that's our topic sentence. The law could not draw us near the God. Whether it was Levitical priesthood or the law as a whole, it does not. Paul says, I, I love the law, I appreciate it. The law is holy, just, and good. But I had not known sin had it not been for the law. Had it not been, I would have not known that I was lusting had I not known that I was not supposed to covet, and that was the law. And so we see that the law was good, but it was not perfect, meaning it could not accomplish drawing us near to God. Remember verse 11, if therefore perfection, remember that's our word. That's what we're looking for. We're looking to be brought to God. We couldn't do it. The Levitical priesthood could not do it. We could not keep the righteous, holy law of God. We can't do it. We can't come to him. So he has come to us. He has provided his righteousness. And what has that done in verse 19? He has brought in a better hope. (laughs) The better hope did 
By the wit we draw nigh unto God. Oh, it's the better hope. The better hope. Look at uh, chapter 10, verse 19, then we'll close. Chapter 10, verse 19. says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Oh, that boldness is access. We have access to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our sins sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. You are putting all your hope, all your trust in Jesus Christ to for, for the forgiveness of sins, to cleanse you from sins, to take away your sins, that when you stand before an all-holy, all-righteous, God is a consuming fire. I, I, I love this. We didn't get the verse 25, but that's another huge verse. He ever liveth to make intercession. Think about that. Why is God interceding, or why is Jesus interceding for us as our high priest? Why is Jesus having to do anything in intercession for us? Why is he praying for us? What is it? Why is he doing that? Because he is saving us from the wrath of God the Father. Who is Jesus saving you from today? The Father. That's who Jesus has saved you from. The Father. Does that mean God didn't love you? God the Father? Of course he did. He loved you so much that whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? To the Jews or anyone else who bases their righteousness on works, the only hope of forgiveness and the rescue from God's wrath is in one way, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. God has set him up. God has exalted him. God's given Jesus a name above every name. And we see in Acts that, that there's no other name given under heaven whereby ye must be saved. The reason this person is standing here whole today is because it, he was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth has made this man whole perfectly sound of mind, perfectly mindful of peace, and Jesus has taken, I pray the Lord is your personal Savior. I pray you don't leave here tonight not knowing if heaven's your home when you die. Oh, God has provided for us all the righteousness, and that's through Jesus Christ. And how are you saved? You're saved by faith. Repenting of your sins, turning when God brings sorrow in your heart that you have indeed sinned against him and that there's no restoring that relationship, there's no hope in the power that you have by all by yourself, God must have mercy on you. And he will have mercy on you if you call upon him. You call upon him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word, how it draws us near. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die in my place to pay for my sins.
that I may be drawn closer to you. And even in the very throne room, we have access today. Father, we do pray, Lord, that you'll just please that we've lifted up exalted Christ and that you be glorified. Father, we pray for your will to be done in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.